0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. Well, good morning and happy Easter to you. Uh, my, I, my name is Deacon Will, and clearly I'm not Father Matt. I'm, uh, I'm filling in for Father Matt this morning because kind of the last minute, right before Maundy Thursday, he came down with COVID. Um, I want you to know that he's, he's recovering well, and he's really um, just sad, of course, to not be here with us. Um, so this is literally, this is a preacher's worst nightmare, okay? <laughs> this is the stuff, like, we, we have these silly dreams, right, that, that we're going to be called on to preach with limited preparation on Easter morning, right, <laughs> of all Sundays. And here we are. <laughs> um, but people have been asking me, you know, like, Will, are you okay? Can I pray for you? And, and it's really kind. Um, I just want you to know that I am okay, um, because what I know, what you might not know, is that I actually have a little side gig, and that for years now, I've actually been writing Matt's sermons for him. <laughs> and um, so it's, it's no big deal to just preach my own sermon. Um, and don't worry, you know, when you give him compliments and encouragement, he makes sure to pass those to me <laughs> so that I receive those. And um, in case you're wondering, you know, anytime I can't think of something to say, I just... I just make up a story about the finnafrox <laughs> in Barnum, Minnesota, and it seems to work every time. Okay, no, I'm kidding. All of that's a joke, but I, I do want you to know at the outset that, uh, that this sermon really is the, the word that the Lord gave to Matt, um, and so it's the word the, that the Matt passed on to me, and now I am passing on to you. Um, it was a collaborative effort between us. So... I just I just want you to know that at the outset it is it is good to be here isn't it? I mean 2 years ago we were not here. 2 years ago we were probably watching a live stream of an Easter morning service from our homes. We might have been with family or we might have been completely alone. And it is just good to mark the Lord's faithfulness. Obviously, COVID is still a scourge that is part of our lives, a significant part of our lives, but the Lord has brought us so far. It is good to be together and celebrate again. And I vividly remember two years ago at the start of the lockdown uh, when Father Matt came to visit my family at our house. Our Our daughter, Elodie, had just been born, March 16th, 2020, right at the beginning of the lockdown and our home was filled with anxiety. Everything outside of our home felt dangerous, right? And so, you know, those early days, all the groceries that were coming in, we washed and scrubbed each one. If we got a package or a piece of mail, we had to leave it outside. If I did go and pick up the mail and then I happened to wipe my nose, my wife would say, what are you doing? You just touched your face. I'd say, no, I didn't. She said, I saw you, you just touched your face. The anxiety in our home, it was high. I remember Father Matt telling me that in these early days, he was was gripped with this fear, this picture of himself dying alone in a hospital without his family able to be there by his side. And at the time, I I was not fearful like that, but I was, or I, I became afraid. In fact, earlier this year, seemingly out of nowhere to me, became gripped with anxiety, and even anxiety around the fear of death. So I remember Matt Matt came to, uh, to the house and I had made some sourdough bread for him, and I like triple wrapped it in saran wrap, and he stood about 10, 12 feet from me in the doorway, and, and he was of course nervous for me, knowing you know, that we had this new baby, and I was nervous for him, knowing that, that he's super old. <laughs> and I said, Matt, are you ready? And, and I just did this underhand, you know, church league softball pass to him so he could catch this sourdough bread. All of, that, all of that seems kind of ridiculous now, looking back. There's so much we didn't know about COVID, but what's not ridiculous is the fear. What's not ridiculous is the fear, the fear of death. And, and we know that this isn't irrational. I mean, COVID didn't create the fear of death, but it did expose and heighten that fear for many of us. We know that that rates of depression and anxiety have just skyrocketed during the last two years. And a psychiatrist here at Res said this. They said, you know, these constant reminders of death, they unsettle us. We feel fragile. And these these forces move about us like an undertow, pulling us away from security of the shore and out to sea. This fear, this this loss of control, it it pulls on us even when we're not thinking about it. The fear has an effect even when we're not thinking about it. And this ties right into our first scripture reading from the New Testament book of Hebrews. So this is page 1002. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2, page 1002. And Hebrews 2.14 says this: says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he's talking about us, us children, creatures of the Father, created by him. Since we have flesh and blood, God Himself in Jesus likewise partook of the same things through the incarnation that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and listen to this, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let me read that again. To deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The sense of the word there is to be held as a prisoner, to be held in prison by fear. And principally by the fear of death. And sometimes that fear is right in your face. You can feel it constricting your chest. And sometimes that fear is just humming there in the background. Fears of of growing old. Fears of, of losing control or not being in control. Fears of, of losing memory or alertness, of fears about losing productivity, a fear that we won't accomplish everything that we want to, fear that for something in our lives it's too late. We've missed our chance. We've missed our shot. All of those fears, present to all of us, are wrapped up in this fear of death that enslaves us. The writer of Hebrews says. And it gets worse. You look at verse fourteen. He says that the one who has the power of death is not you, and it's not me. It's the devil. We do not hold the keys to our own end. And a verse in the New Testament says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And that expresses our belief that when we, the human race, when every one of us turned away from the source of life, what we got in return... Was death, And we can't do a thing about it. We don't hold the keys. And this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff, but I have to take us here because this is what we're up against. This is why we need Easter hope. This is why we need this celebration today because this is the fearful reality that enslaves us whether it's in our face or humming in the background. And for this, we don't just need good medical advice like like eat your broccoli and and get in 10,000 steps and do your crossword puzzles. We need help. We need outside intervention. We need a deliverer. Amen? Amen? That is what Easter is all about. Look at verse 10 there. For it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word "founder" means something like trailblazer, the original one, the originator, the OG, or, or maybe even better, the champion who goes ahead of us. And in verse 14, it says that the suffering that Jesus endured culminated in nothing less than death. Jesus, our champion, went through death, not over it, not around it, but through death. We are subjected to death because of our disobedience. He chose death because of his obedience. We're subject to death because of disobedience. He chose it for us in obedience to the Father and for his own joy and for our salvation. And Canon Stephen likes to say it like this, that God, the source of life, came to earth to do the one thing that God cannot do, which is to die. Jesus entered the prison of death, but Jesus is the champion of our salvation. He is the champion of our freedom. He entered that prison to break the walls and to lead us out. The blues musician B.B. King was once asked what he thought of the afterlife. And he said, I don't know. I don't know what happens in the afterlife. My mother and nobody else I've ever known has ever come back to tell me. But what if somebody did come back? What if somebody did come back to tell us what it's like? That is the claim of Easter that Jesus, our champion, came back. He dethroned the devil. He took hold of the keys. He opened the prison door. And He did that for you and for me, not just someday, for someday in the future after our end, but He opens that door for you here and now, today, to escape the slavery of fear, you can be free. The the resurrection is an incredible story, and it can sound too good to be true. The resurrection can sound like a myth or a fairy tale. And if you're a skeptic this morning, if you're a skeptic this morning, I just want you to know this, that these stories in the gospel, these four gospel accounts of the resurrection, these are not written as a fairy tale. And these are not written as as a myth, talking about something that happened long, long ago. But for the writers of these stories, they are writing them as historical fact. For them, as recent history, as a news report. And that's why the gospels, they include details that you would not find if these were stories that were being made up, details that you would only find if the intention of that writer was to write the story just as it happened. These things happened. That is the witness of the Gospels. So you can turn with me to Luke 24. And in your Pew Bibles, that's page 884. Luke 24 and his account of the resurrection. Verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And the they here, these are the women from Galilee, who had followed Jesus for years and who had watched him die, had watched him be crucified. Verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this, and behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And the women were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. What do you notice about the feelings of the women in this passage? Are they calm and collected? Is this a triumphant moment? Yes, we knew this would happen, just like he told us. Is that how the story is told? No. They're confused, They're, they're perplexed, they're frightened, they're disoriented. And this is how the Bible depicts everybody who first encounters Jesus after his resurrection. And think about that for a minute. These are the heroes of the faith. We know their names. This is Mary Magdalene. This is Joanna. This is, this is Peter and James and John. These are the leaders of the early church. They know that this is being written about them. They knew Luke. These are the heroes, and at this climactic moment, they do not look heroic. Look at verses 5 and 6. The angel says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember how he told you. Remember, he told you he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In other words, didn't your champion tell you he would rise again? Didn't he tell you that he would enter the prison of death and break through it, blasting a hole in the back door? This is, this is like Babe Ruth calling his shot, right? That's what Jesus did, pointing to the center field fence, pointing right where he was going to hit the home run. Jesus called his shot, saying exactly what he was going to do, and somehow, the women and the disciples forgot. They forgot, or or they didn't understand, or they didn't believe. And so again, if this is a made-up story, if this is a story that is fabricated to try to lend credibility to this burgeoning religious movement, Making up this story about the resurrection, then why would they portray themselves in such embarrassing ways? Being confused and frightened and not understanding what's happening. The only reason you would do that is if this is the way it really happened. Look at verse 11. The women return home to the male disciples and they share what they've experienced. This is what the text says, but to the male disciples, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. It seemed to them like an idle tale, literally nonsense, foolishness, empty talk, wishful thinking, naivete, just the kind of story you'd expect from a group of women in a heightened emotional state of grief. That's not what I think. That's not what we think. That's how the ancient world thought. Women were not credible witnesses. The testimony of women did not count for much. It couldn't even stand up in court. They tell stories. Their testimony can't be trusted. And so again, if you're an ancient writer and you're trying to convince people of a fake resurrection, You would not base that story on the testimony of women. That would not convince anybody. It would not score you any points. A listener would think the same as the disciples. This is nonsense. This is just a story, just something they made up. But in this story, it's the women who perceive rightly, and it's the men who look foolish we have that kind of framing of stories all the time in contemporary sitcoms, you know, where men are portrayed as these kind of like Homer Simpson types, right? And the women are are the smart ones in those sitcoms and those stories. But the ancient world would not have written a story like that. Men, like these disciples, would not have propagated, they would not have told a story that made them look silly in comparison to these women unless... That's the way it happened. That's the only reason you'd include those details. This is a story that has all the markings, not of a myth, not of a fairy tale, but of an eyewitness account. And as Peter himself later wrote in one of his letters, we did not follow cleverly devised myths, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. These things happened. And the truth of the resurrection is not an idea. It's not a metaphor. It's a historical fact. And that is why we base our lives upon it. It's not just a nice idea. It's the truth. These things happened. Amen? Amen. And you have to hand it to Peter. He's suspicious. He's slow to believe, but he's willing to investigate. He's willing to check it out. So verse 12, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen burial cloths. And he went home marveling, marveling at what happened. That word, marveling, the same word that that the gospel writer Luke used to describe the people's reaction when they hear what the shepherds saw, this host of angels. On the night that Jesus was born, the people marveled at what the shepherds told them. Or the way that that the people marveled at Jesus' gracious teaching. Or the way that the disciples marveled when he calmed the wind and the waves. That's the power of the resurrection beginning to work in Peter's life. The fear in his heart surrounding Jesus' death, the the crushing disappointment of his hopes and dreams for his beloved rabbi, all of these slowly being replaced by wonder, by marveling. And soon, very soon after this, Peter will move from wonder to daring faith and witness, which will continue all the way to his death. He will go to his deathbed. In fact, he will die for saying this very thing, that Jesus Christ is risen, that Jesus Christ is Lord, never once recanting. None of the disciples recanted. Everyone went to their death. Every one of them went to their death proclaiming this truth. Jesus here is beginning to set Peter free, just like he wants to set you and me free this morning. Healing, healing from fear, from anxiety, from depression, even healing from fear of death begins with wonder. Healing begins with wonder which is not the same as having all the answers, which is not the same as knowing exactly how God is going to provide. But it's wonder at what God has done. It's wonder at what God can do. It's wonder at this fellowship that we're experiencing this morning. It's, it's wonder at all of this beauty and this singing. It's wonder at new birth and these baptisms that we celebrated earlier. It's wonder at new possibilities in Christ Jesus. It's wonder for joy. Where did all of this goodness come from? It had to come from somewhere. It had to come from someone. Wonder can set us free from fear, from the fear of growing old, from the fear of loneliness, not having a home, from the fear of failure or or being or becoming unproductive or useless the fear of past mistakes catching up to you the fear on what on missing out on what others seem to have the fear of running out of time and i confess that i am still on this journey myself i am not free from fear and we are all, in some way or another, bound by fear, by anxiety. And at this church, we believe that the healing ministry of Jesus works in a variety of ways. Through friendship, through community, through prayer, through therapy, through medicine. We believe that Jesus heals through all of these ways. And we bless these ways that Jesus heals. Heals our minds and our hearts and our bodies. But what the resurrection offers is this. The resurrection offers hope. And hope is a sure foundation. It is a solid foundation for all of those ways of healing. That Christ, our champion, has broken through the prison walls of fear and death. So that no matter what you and I face in this life, you can know that Jesus Has the victory and he's won that victory For you He's won that victory for you. He is your champion The founder of our salvation You have nothing to fear And so if something weighs heavily on your heart this morning Ask Jesus ask him Ask Him to set you free. Ask Him for deliverance. Ask Him for a fresh start. Give your fears to Him and believe. Believe that God's power working in you can do abundantly more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. Believe that the Lord can restore the fortunes of Zion and that your trembling, aching, anxious heart will laugh, will laugh with joy. Ask him and see what he will do. To him be glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening.